Hello, hockey humans of the world, and welcome to Tough Call Podcast. Are you frustrated at the inconsistency of NHL officiating? Are you tired of the Department of Player Safety's wheel of random punishments? Do you think the NHL could do more to protect its players? Do you want to keep the physicality to see more open ice checks and thunderous contact in the game of hockey, but without all the headshots? If so, this is the podcast for you. If not, this is also the podcast for you because the whole point of this and the Tough Call YouTube channel is to generate discussion on where we want the sport of hockey to go from here. Tough Call isn't about what I think the real NHL would do in any given situation or even what I think they should do. It's about what I would do if I were in charge of setting the standard for penalties, fines, and suspensions in my own league. And here we go. This is Tough Call. Hi, folks, and welcome to Tough Call Podcast Season 4, Episode 7, covering the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And let's jump right into our weekly total fines and suspensions. And during the first round of the 2023 Stanley Cup playoffs, the NHL's Department of Player Safety issued two fines and two suspensions total. Over that same time period, during the first round, Tough Call would have issued two fines and 21 suspensions. And I know that sounds like a lot, and I'm going to get to that number a little bit later, but first let's go through them a little bit. And here's the ones that I and the Department of Player Safety actually agree on. In Game 2, Michael Bunting of the Toronto Maple Leafs was issued a three-game suspension for an illegal check to the head of Eric Chernak. Now, I'd have given him four games, but still, we agree it was a suspendable offense and we're very close in the number of games. Uh, in Game 3, Sam Lafferty of the Toronto Maple Leafs was fined $3,000 for cross-checking Ross Colton in the face. I agree, obviously, that this is a suspendable or at least a supplementary discipline-worthy offense. They gave it a fine. I'd have given him a six-game suspension because in the tough call world, any cross-check to the head is a minimum six-game suspension, if it has enough force to be called a cross-check, of course. This one was quite forceful, so minimum six games. In Game 4, Matthew Kachuk of Florida was fined for cross-checking Garnet Hathaway, I'd have given him seven games, and again, they just find him. But again, to me, this cross-check is well beyond the realm of anything related to hockey. It was after the period was done, he traveled a great distance to do it, and he hit the player intentionally in a super vulnerable area. So to me, this is more than a fine. This is a play that has nothing to do with hockey, and plays that have nothing to do with hockey, minimum six-game suspension. In Game 4, Kale McCarr of the Colorado Avalanche got a one-game penalty for interference on Jared McCann. Now, again, we recognize it's a suspendable offense. I'd have given him six games, and they gave him one. I feel it was way too late. The extreme lateness of it and the violence of the hit for how late it was, to me, puts it in the realm of a play that didn't really have much to do with hockey anymore. I know he said he thought the puck was there, but that's a pretty bold move for just guessing where the puck is. That was a very violent hit for not being 100% sure where the puck was. So to me, it went beyond hockey six games. But at least, again, we agree that it was suspendable. But now here's the ones I think they missed. Remember, there's a significant difference in the amount of supplemental discipline I would give versus what they actually gave. In game one, I would have given Matt Dumba of the Minnesota Wild three games for interference for that hit on Joe Pavelski. 
Right after that, in the same incident, I would have given Max Domi a five-game suspension for needlessly endangering an official. And for those that don't know, what that is is under the tough call system, anyone who comes in and escalates an altercation or causes an extra needless escalation of the violence in a scrum that's already been settled by the officials after the fact, once the officials have everything calmed down, if someone else comes in and stirs the pot again, they get an automatic five-game suspension, and that's what Max Domi did. In game one of the Boston series, I would have given Tyler Bertuzzi a $3,000 fine for unsportsmanlike conduct on Nick Cousins. This is when he grabbed Nick Cousins' stick, brought it onto his own bench, and then tried to break it. To me, that's just beyond reasonable it's petty and i want to find that because i don't want to encourage players to continue to do things like that uh in game one jake mccabe of the toronto maple leafs i would have given three games for charging on michael isimov it wasn't a horrible hit but he did catch isimov in the head isimov was injured and missed some time so i'm not like inventing that scenario and I thought it was avoidable head contact. So I would have suspended him three games. In game two, I would have given Thomas Nosek four games for elbowing Eric Stahl. I just felt like this was very, very avoidable. He was going into the corner to make a clean check, supposedly. But then he just inexplicably reached his arm out and caught Eric Stahl on the head because he was going to miss. That can't happen. In game two of this series, I would have given Derek Forbort a fine of $5,000 for intentionally removing the helmet of Radko Gudis. They were in a little bit of a board battle, and, and Forbort just pulled Gudis' helmet right off and forced him to go to the bench. That stuff is supposed to be an automatic penalty, and to me, it creates uh, a needless amount of danger. It puts that player in a dangerous position now, especially when you do it in a scrum where other players are around and they're going to be putting their hands in people's faces and all that anyway, then if you rip the player's helmet off, that's just one step closer to a punch to a bare exposed head. So that sort of thing you really have to crack down on, in my opinion. I think scrums are pretty stupid anyway. I think they should call a lot more roughings for face washings and things, and they don't. But they should absolutely crack down on anyone who intentionally removes the helmet of an opponent. In game two, I would have also given Ryan Lomberg 15 games for choking Trent Frederick. Now, this is a case where I don't really have a chance to have hearings with players, but from from what I understand, Trent Frederick said that Ryan Lomberg was laying on top of him, and then he choked him. He put his hands on his throat, and Frederick said he was actually going to black out there. He was very close to having the lights go out, as he put it, and if I was able to do some investigation and found out that was true, I don't see how that type of play should be even remotely acceptable in a hockey game. That is way beyond anything to do with hockey. What kind of mental thought place do you need to be in where you're going to choke your opponent in a hockey game? So to me, that's, that's one of those ones where an 11-plus game suspension for me is is a category that's like inexplicable things that have no business at all being in a hockey game. And that's what that would be. And for me, I would give it 15 games. In game two of the Islanders series, I would have given Matt Martin six games for checking from behind slash interference on Jordan Stahl. And this is the one where Stahl was in the slot and Martin took a big run and, and checked him down from behind, which was already bad enough. 
And then while he was down and injured, he was showing no signs of getting up or even moving. And Matt Martin decided to step over top of him and then sit down with all his weight on the back of his neck. That is not just a minor penalty for interference. To me, that had nothing to do with hockey. It was taking advantage of a vulnerable player that you had many other options besides sitting on his head. I mean, you didn't even have to do anything because he was laying there injured. So to me, that to again, what is your thought process there? So I'd have given Matt Martin six games. In game three of the Los Angeles-Edmonton series, I would have given Alex Sedler four games for a dangerous trip on Warren Fogle. Warren Fogle was cutting across the blue line with the puck in what you would call the trolley tracks. And Alex Edler did not have it lined up at all. He was going to miss. So he reached out with his leg and clipped Warren Fogle. And to me, that was too much of a reach. It was way too intentional. He knew what he was doing. I don't think he was trying to hurt him. I think he was trying to stop him from getting by. But there comes a point where you just have to let that player go. This was beyond a regular trip or routine hockey play. It was way too much of a reach, and it created way too much danger. So I'd have given him four games for that dangerous trip. In game three of the Tampa-Toronto series, I would have given Pat Maroon three games for boarding on Jake McCabe. This is the hit that happened in overtime, where McCabe had the puck just outside his own blue line, played the puck up the boards, and then Pat Maroon continued to skate across the ice and nailed him from behind into the boards. I don't know how these things aren't called even a minor penalty. This one wasn't even called a minor penalty. And it happens way too much. They need to take it way more seriously. I'd have given them three games for boarding. In game four of this series, I'd have given Ryan Pulak three games for boarding on Jack Drury of the Carolina Hurricanes. To me, again, it was a situation where the puck was going to the corner and Jack Drury was going to be first to the puck. Pulak knew he was going to be first to the puck. And the way he was positioned for playing the puck made his body so that his back was facing out and he was facing the boards. And Ryan Pulak just continued to go through and finish the check anyway. And I know we look at these plays and we say Drury maybe changed his position a little too much. He turned his back, as they say. But it was very reasonable and should be expected or predictable the actions he was going to take. And it's up to Ryan Pulak to make sure before he hits there. You can't just be committed to that check. And then when the player turns his back, you just use it as, a, as an excuse. You have to know for sure. If you can't be sure what that player is going to do yet, if you're not close enough that you know that player is going to be where you think they are when you get there, then you have to go more cautiously. And he was not cautious enough and caused a violent impact with the boards that caused an injury. Do I take injury into account? No. Uh, to me, if a play is dangerous, then it's dangerous. And if it isn't, it isn't. We can't base it on result. But th I'm just saying it happened to cause an injury. I'd have given him three games for boarding. And that's consistent with my suspension for Pat Maroon there. In game four, I would have given Jesperi Kotkaniemi four games for roughing on Pierre Engvall. And this is one of those ones where players like to turn their back when they throw hits. So Engvall was skating just off the boards, heading up to his own blue line. And Kotkaniemi was coming down in a north-south direction, opposite direction, coming towards Engvall. And instead of doing a face-on shoulder-to-shoulder trek and, and trying to catch him in the core, Kotkaniemi spun around and then pushed off and violently went out backwards and reached his arms out. So if, if you could imagine, just for no reason, 
doing a 180 and pushing off and jumping backwards and then putting both your elbows out up to the side at shoulder height. That's what Kotkaniemi thought a proper checking technique would be. And they did review this for a major and they said that it wasn't his elbow that hit Engvall, it was the glove that hit him in the face. Well, to me, if you're spinning around and jumping off the ice and then putting your arms out like wings, you're taking a chance. You're not being able to see where your opponent is. You don't know what part of your body's going to hit him. You're just trying to make yourself extra big and it's dangerous. You can't just swing your arm violently around at head height while pushing off and exploding into that contact facing backwards so you have no idea where your opponent is. The danger isn't in whether the elbow hit him in the face or not or the glove. The danger is in the action of you having no idea what part of the body you're going to hit. You have no control anymore over when and where contact happens. So I'd have given him four games for roughing. In game four of Toronto-Tampa again, I'd have given William Nylander six games for slew-footing Steven Stamkos. To me, this should have, at the bare minimum, been a minor penalty for a dangerous trip. Stamkos had the puck near the boards, and Nylander was going to come in, and I don't know what he was doing. It didn't look like he was trying to make a hit or anything. I think he was just going to try and take a swing at the puck with his stick, but he came in at an angle that just went right through Steven Stamkos. And it was from behind, and he drove, Nylander drove his right knee and thigh directly through the back of the thigh of Steven Stamkos. It's a, it's a, it definitely meets the definition of a slew foot. And it should have been called. It wasn't even, it, it should have been called, for sure. And I'd also given him six games for that, because to me, slew footing is a play that has nothing to do with hockey. It's extremely avoidable. And we should ask players to avoid it. Uh, game four, I'd have given Pavel Zaka six games for cross-checking on Ryan Lomberg. This is a battle in front of the net between Zaka of Boston and Lomberg of Florida. They're in a net battle, standard net battle. And I know what you're going to say. Lomberg gave him a couple of cross-checks and a slash. Well, yeah, but they weren't very forceful. And they were also down lower, like waist or just above waist. And to me, that should be a minor penalty. There definitely should have been a minor penalty, but it wasn't enough that I would turn around and crank the guy in the face. And the other thing is, you're going to say, Zach had tried to hit him in the shoulder, and then it rode up. And I absolutely hate that excuse for cross-checks to the head. I was going to hit him in the shoulder, and it rode up. If you're hitting someone in the upper shoulder with a cross-check, that's already high enough. You're, you're already in the realm of suspendable play to me, major penalty territory, you shouldn't be anywhere near the shoulder's neck area. Quite often they hit the shoulder pad and then just graze across the top and go into someone's neck. That's not an unreasonable expectation. Any reasonable person would know that that's a possible outcome of that and you're taking your chances. You can't say you're surprised by it or use it as an excuse. And then especially if it does catch them in the chin or the head. You've already gone beyond any argument you have with me, if you're going to hit shoulder or higher. Those cross-checks need to be lower, and they should be called. Like I said, Lomberg should have got a minor penalty, but there's no excuse for cross-checking anyone in the face. I would have given him six games, and again, that's consistent with a cross-check to the face I'd have given someone else earlier. So I'm trying to have consistency, set the standard. Everybody knows going in what these plays are worth, and they won't do them anymore. Uh, game four... 
Florida-Boston, I'd have given Sam Bennett 10 games for spearing Garnet Hathaway. Now, this is after the Matthew Kachuk cross-check to Garnet Hathaway. Kachuk skated an entire zone after the whistle and drove his stick into Garnet Hathaway's back. And while Hathaway was down on the ice, Sam Bennett came in and gave him what they would call a cup check. And to me, again, a spearing is automatic six to ten games. It has nothing to do with hockey. So you're looking at the minimum of six, and the reason this was the maximum of ten is because, uh, again, just how out of context it is from an actual hockey play. It was way after the horn sounded to end the period. It was well after the scrum had died down and a player was laying on the ice injured. And then you want to go in and stick him with your stick? There's, it's not gamesmanship. It's not funny. It's ridiculous. And we should not allow it. So I give him 10 games for that. In game five uh, of this series, I'd have given Marcus Foligno three games for kneeing on Radic Vasca. Kneeing, three games. That's consistent. In game five, Pat Maroon is at it again. He boarded Mark Giordano. And I'd have given him four games for this boarding. I'm not factoring in repeat offenders. To me, he was a repeat offender in the three to five game category. So this second suspension in in the real tough call world would automatically move into the six to ten game suspension category. Um, So you're having a good increment of additional time for a repeat offender, especially someone who did it so quickly after. Now, of course, in my world, this one would never, ever have happened because I would have already suspended him. Uh, in game five, Dmitry Orlov, I would have given him seven games for slew-footing Sam Bennett. So I don't, I don't care who it is. If Sam Bennett gets slew-footed, he deserves to be protected just as much as anyone else, even though he should have been thrown out of the game for spearing. I'm going to protect him when he gets slew-footed because that's what you have to do is be consistent, take away who it is, don't manage the game, you call what you see. And Dmitry Orlov completely slew-footed Sam Bennett behind the net. There's videos of all these on my YouTube channel, and you can see this one. There's a definite leg kick to the back of Bennett's leg, and it has the bonus of the arm across the front pushing backwards. It wasn't even called a minor penalty. And I'd have given him seven games for this. And then, of course, Jordan Eberle should have got five games for boarding Andrew Cogliano. The hit resulted in a broken neck. I mean, it was pretty dangerous. I don't know how that was just a minor penalty, and I don't understand how there wasn't a suspension. It just boggles my mind that that they would not suspend for that. This episode's incident of the week should be the Eberly hit to Cogliano I just talked about, but I already did a long video explaining my thoughts on that one. You can find it on the Tough Call YouTube channel. So I'm going to actually pick the William Nylander slew foot on Steven Stamkos. Like I said, there's so many of these dangerous trips and accidentally on purpose trips that I was able to post actually an entire compilation video from just the first round alone. There was enough of these incidents in one round of the playoffs to get enough to make a compilation video of these types of incidents. And I think only two of the ones shown in the video earned minor penalties. And those are just some of the ones I saw. Imagine if I could watch every minute of every game like the Department of Player Safety says they do. The point is, these happen so much, we see them as routine. And I'll grant you, yes, most of them are just minor penalties for tripping, like any other trip with the stick. It's just skate-on-skate clipping contact. 
but there has to be some distinction made between a little clip and driving right through the back of someone's legs like this Nylander play. The sheer speed at which he's traveling makes it dangerous enough even for a regular trip. If he had just done a flyby and caught him in the foot, it still would have been dangerous. But this absolutely is not just a skate clip. It's a knee right through the back of the opponent's knee. Nylander's right leg drives right through the knee and thigh, the back of the knee and thigh of Steven Stamkos's left leg. It does absolutely meet the definition of a slew foot. As I explain in my suspension video on the YouTube channel discussing this incident, and it should be treated the same way. It's enough for a match penalty for me, every bit as much as that bunting interference call that they gave him three games for and gave him a match penalty. That wasn't just a minor penalty for a legal check to the head. That was a match penalty before it was even a suspension. To me, this is every bit as much a match penalty as that was. This week's by request is the Matt Dumba hit on Joe Pavelski that I talked about from game one that kind of started the whole first round off, set the tone for the whole playoffs. Now, as I said off the top of the show, I'd have given him three games, and it's important to note it would be for interference, not illegal check to the head. Because I think in this case, the real danger is thinking that the hit was still there when it wasn't. And as some of you know, why I hate Rule 48 so much, illegal check to the head, NHL Rule 48, is it gets defaulted to too much. Penalties have become equated with the result of head contact and not the mechanism for it. So for most people, no head contact equals no penalty. And the reverse is just as big a problem to me, where head contact to some equals penalty automatically. But that's not the case all the time either. Set head contact here aside in this particular example. Was it Dumba that hit his head? Was it his own stick? That's, these are the things people are looking for. Those are the wrong first questions to ask. The first question is, was the player receiving the check eligible for contact? Joe Pavelski had just gotten rid of the puck. And the NHL has that gray area window of time where you can still finish a check. But what you can't do is start a new check that hasn't been initiated yet. If Dumba had just stayed on his original path of travel and collided with Pavelski in that same time frame, no problem at all. My issue with it is the way Dumba turned into contact. He stopped up and drove hard forward into the hit that instantly turns it into interference for me because the whole process was started after the puck was gone. You can't use that window of time to hit anything that moves and call it legal just because it happened 0.6 seconds after the puck was gone. You have to already be in the process. And if you think I'm crazy, look up the Sam Bennett interference penalty from Game 3 of the Boston-Florida series first round. Just a few days after this one. And better yet, let's revisit April 6th of the regular season, a hit by Matt Dumba himself on Dylan O'Connor of the Penguins. It's almost the exact same play. You can see both of these incidents on my YouTube channel. You can just search the names, search Tough Call Dumba O'Connor or Tough Call Bennett uh, Interference, that sort of thing, and you'll find them. This Matt Dumba hit on Dylan O'Connor of the Pittsburgh Penguins was almost the exact same play where O'Connor passed the puck and then glided into his path. Dumba stopped up abruptly and then exploded back out and up into O'Connor's head and shoulder. He got a two-minute minor for this one as well, nothing else, but at least they recognized it as interference. And to me, this Dumba hit on Pavelski was pretty much the exact same thing, just in a different spot on the ice. So I'd have given Dumba four games for that hit on Dylan O'Connor as well. And game one actually would have been his first game back from that, 
And maybe he would have thought a little bit about it before stepping into Pavelski the same way and risking another suspension in the playoffs. So if, if they had actually punished Dumba and given him the suspension that I would have given him, that would have led right into this round one. He would have been back just in time for the playoffs, and he probably would have thought twice about delivering this hit here. Instead, we have an injury to Pavelski, we have no call, and we have controversy night one of the playoffs. As it played out in the real world, like I said, top talent out for the foreseeable future, and we have a repeat offender ready to strike again if the situation presents itself. Prevent that from happening before. Your job shouldn't be to punish dangerous contact after it happens. Part of your job should be preventing it before it ever takes place. And just to have it on record, one of the things of note for me, besides the dangerous tripping that I'm talking about, something else I'm keeping an eye on during this first round is the ripping off of the helmets we see more and more. Now, to be fair, we don't see it a ton in open play, mostly in scrums. But really, as I said, that's the most dangerous time it happens, when players aren't focused on playing anymore and just focused on stirring up anger and chaos. To me, this needs to be an automatic roughing penalty anytime it happens, which is what the rulebook states. They just need to call it. And it should also be an automatic fine. If you're going to make a rule where a player is forced to either leave the ice or stop playing to collect and reinstall his helmet once it gets knocked off, I mean, that's a huge advantage gained if you can rip it off without consequence. And I find, like anything, officials don't call this consistently enough, so players are starting to do it more. And especially after the whistle, when bodies, arms, sticks, and skates are flying around out of control, if someone rips an opponent's helmet off then, think about how vulnerable they are now. That's creating needless and senseless danger to the point it has to be meaningfully deterred. I mean, first of all, in, in my league, that if, if I was running league, any face washing and punches and scrums, like I said, take a two-minute seat, all of you. I don't care who you are. Boom, you're gone, you're gone, you're gone. So to rip a player's helmet off, definitely worth the fine comparatively. I mean, that takes a lot of work sometimes. Sometimes they're really digging at it and trying to pull the strap and they finally get it off. But they're going to put that much time into it definitely it should be noticed and punished. Now, I end every episode off with a segment called Here's the Thing. And I know I said I would talk about the number of fines and suspensions I gave off the top of the show. So I know two fines and 21 suspensions sounds like a lot for one round of hockey. And I'm like you guys. I wouldn't actually want to see that happen in real life either. Nobody wants to see that many disciplinary actions taking place. But the point is, it wouldn't happen in my world because players are smart. They adapt very well to rules that are clearly defined and consistently called. My system is based on a clear standard that doesn't only tell you what not to do. Like Brendan Shanahan used to do when he ran the Department of Player Safety, there's video example after video example of what to do, what will get you in trouble and what won't. Or better yet, what will keep everyone as safe as possible and what will create needless danger that we want to get rid of. Under my system, like I said, Matt Dumba would be a repeat offender, suspended three times this year alone. But remember, he wasn't actually suspended, so of course he keeps doing the things I wouldn't want to see so that I have to suspend him multiple times. But if he really were suspended, he'd have a chance to discuss what went wrong, what he should do differently next time. And as a bonus, the rest of the league would see that and get the same message. For the price of four suspensions and one fine, Dumba for his hit, Nylander for his slew foot, Maroon for boarding, Bennett for spearing, and the fine to foreboard for removing Gudis' helmet, if, if I only gave out four suspensions and one fine and those were the four, it would have 
prevented 16 other incidents from ever happening this round because there was a lot of multiples of those. Interference, slew footing, ripping the helmet off, unsportsmanlike conduct. These are the types of things that wouldn't happen now. Boarding is a great example. We've seen way too much of it over the past five years, and it's just getting worse. If you suspend one person for it, and then two days later it happens again, and you suspend that person for it, and you're consistent at it, it doesn't take long before it goes away. And if I was able to make those four or five suspensions and fines to start this first round off, probably the other 16 incidents of the 21 that I suspended or fined for would never, ever have happened. If we want some things to be truly out of the game, we can't keep making excuses for every other time it happens. It has to be consistent. It can't be a punishment one time and not the other time. It has to be consistent. If you're enjoying this episode and want to be a part of the discussion, please take a moment to hit subscribe and leave a quick review so more people will be able to find the show. And the next time you're on YouTube, subscribe to the Tough Call channel where hundreds of comments are left every single day about the incidents I've covered here on this podcast, as well as videos of clean checks and more. Those are two great ways. You can find all my breakdowns of the incidents I cover here and many more at the Tough Call YouTube channel. And I'm also on Twitter, at Tough Call Pod. I'm a regular contributor and proud member of the Heavy Hockey Network. To support my other work, look for my contributions on the Heavy Hockey Network YouTube channel, as well as a few articles on the website, heavyhockey.com. Thanks for choosing Tough Call and enjoy the hockey.